founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Giovanni Gallo, co-CEO and chief development officer of Compliance Line. Giovanni grew up in, a, in an immigrant entrepreneur family and has truly lived out the American dream. Compliance Line is a people-based company that has been the industry leader in integrated hotline and risk mitigation services, existing to improve the lives of all their clients. As co-CEO, Giovanni lives out his passion for seeing others thrive in the workplace by creating solutions that enable compliance professionals to be more effective in their jobs. Gio, we are so excited to have you on the podcast, my friend. Glad to be here, Drew. Thanks for having me on, and hello to all you founders out there. Yes, yes. Well, my friend, they're going to be used to this. You are not used to this, but I want to ask you the same question we've asked every founder on this podcast, All right. which is, what is the worst thing you've ever done and why? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, we only have an hour, right? So we'll that's right. On the next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the real question is, man, how did we get here today? What were the series of events that led you to doing what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, first off, uh, the universe was created and then we skipped forward a bunch uh, and then it kind of I, I jumped to uh, my dad. So my dad came over to this country. It was part of your intro. He came over to this country from Cuba. He uh, he and his siblings without his parents fled ca- communism. Wow. Uh, thankfully, his parents got out eventually. Uh, but he came to this this country, you know, uh, landed in Miami and then settled in Chicago. Um, so that's a part of my story, because as I was growing up, we didn't come from much, you know, they had a full reset, all of their assets got taken and all of that. So they kind of start over wow. um, on, in, in Chicago. And, you know, we, uh, I was born into that life that, you know, he was building from there. My mom ha- has her own story. Um, and really the lesson, uh, you know, one lesson that I was taught a lot as we were growing up as we moved around a bunch and, you know, my parents were kind of jumping to different jobs, trying to find, you know, find that path of advancement was that, listen, there's a lot wrong with this country. There's a lot that can be better and that we need to be a part of fixing. But in this country, there's something something called upward mobility. And you can cut your own slice of pie. If you treat people well, if you do the right thing, then you can build something here. Um, and, you know, really the next big step in that was I saw my parents start a business together when I was kind of in junior high. And that really changed our lot in life. You know, they had been in different sales roles and stuff like that. And then we saw them build this business and they were doing the balanced scorecard, all stakeholders matter approach before it was cool, uh, before people were getting big press releases for doing it. And listen, we just had a small business, but, you know, they cared about their customers. They kept the lights on and paid the bills and, you know, that they they, uh, took care of them. They cared about their employees. They were part of our family. They, you know, were part of building this thing that we did. And we saw that impact us, you know, like we were in, you know, as a family, we were employees and owners. Um, And, you know, my brother and I, we saw that happen and we saw that, you know, kind of be a good outcome for our family. Yeah. And we said, wow, this is really cool. What if, so this is, you know, 12 year old geo, like getting home from football, pra- you know, flag football practice or something. Like what if one day we, uh, you know, ran a business together, like mom and dad did, that'd be pretty cool. Um, so we kind of set off on this journey. So we were the first in our families to go to college. Uh, wow. my, my, my brother beat me there. Uh, he's always been kind of three years ahead of me. So I'm still trying to catch up. Um, but you know, we were the first ones to go to college and, you know, we're like, well, what should we do? How do we kind of figure this game out? We had seen kind of sales and management from our parents. We're like, all right, well, numbers matter. So let's learn finance and accounting and economics. And we did that in college. And then, so then we were like, all right, how do we learn how to do this? Well, let's go see how the big boys do it. So we went into professional services and my brother was doing transaction diligence for acquisitions. And then I went into banking. Um, uh, investment banking, kind of doing IPOs and bonds and mergers and acquisitions and stuff like that. Okay. And then along the line, found out like, oh, well, there's this thing is pri- like private equity. Like, I don't have a rich uncle that told me how the world worked. Like, we were just kind of running after it, trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. job, right. Um, and our, you know, our parents always supported us, and they said, listen, get a good education, work hard, do the right things, and you know, uh, you know, we'll kind of support you however we can. So then, you know, we found out private equity, all right, these guys buy and own and fix and sell companies. That's kind of like what we want to do. And we were just kind of trying to, you know, find the next thing, learn, grow, and kind of get closer to this. Well, I ended up going to get an MBA at Kellogg at Northwestern outside of Chicago. Um, And, you know, while kind of networking um, in pursuit of that, we found out about there's this format 
for uh, what you know is commonly called entrepreneurship through acquisition, where some successful entrepreneurs say, hey, I'm not going to kind of start back over, but I'll back someone else to who's scrappy, who's going to go, you know, the standard approaches, find a company where the owners are heading toward retirement. They don't want to just sell to a competitor and have all their people be fired as synergies, but they want the company to keep going and let's yeah. back a young entrepreneur someone who's entrepreneurial and has some hustle and has some grit to go take that company from where it is to kind of build the next stage of growth. Um, and that's what we did. So I graduated with my MBA. We went around to some of these um, entrepreneurs. Like I called up all my uncles and they were like, you know, I'll give you 30 bucks. And I was like, need a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we just, you know, networked into it and um, thankfully found a great group of uh, investors and entrepreneurs and operators um, who believed in us and they gave us a shot. Um, and then, you know, we spent uh, the better part of two years trying to find the company that we would kind of bet the next, you know, stage of our life and our career on. So this was in Chicago. We found this company, you know, among, you know, looking at thousands, talking to hundreds, meeting dozens, uh, found this company compliance line here in Charlotte, North Carolina, serving the compliance and ethics space. And we just jumped in with both feet, you know, uprooted our families from Chicago. You know, I had a, I think one-year-old son and, you know, a, a wife of less than two years and was like, all right, well, we're moving to Charlotte. We know nobody, but we'll go figure it out. <laughs> wow. So we jumped in here and we've been here for four and a half years. And thankfully, you know, we stand on the shoulders of the giants who founded this company, um, you know, Steve and Brian, and then uh, some other owners. Uh, Steve and Pat, they really built a great company. We had a great foundation, great reputation, took care of customers. Um, we had a lot of great starting points. And we said, all right, well, you know, what is the vision of this company being 10 times bigger? And for us, that bigger doesn't mean bigger is better. We say that better becomes bigger. And uh, bigger means that we're having a bigger impact on the world. So I'm happy yeah. to talk about what we do at Compliance Line and all of that stuff, whatever is going to be interesting to people. But that's kind of the stuff that led me here. It was my dad. It was entrepreneurship. It was kind of wander through uh, the professional services world and then find out that, you know, we could kind of take this jump into this company. Man. Okay. So lots of interesting parts here. The first that I want to start with is I've not out of, we've done 50 something interviews so far. And that's the first that I've heard even about the entrepreneurship uh, route into, you know, what do you call it? Entrepreneur acquiring? Yeah, ETA, entrepreneurship through acquisition. It's also called yeah. search funds. That's kind of like the the investment side of it. And then the operational side is, you know, entrepreneurship. You, you, you know, I didn't have a great idea of like, all right, it's like Uber, but for Big Macs and socks at the same time, it's going to be a great <laughs> right. app. I didn't have those ideas. I said, hey, I like business. I think it does a lot of good in the world. I want to run something. And, you know, we picked up after this company had run for 20 years yeah. um, and it was a great starting point for us. And they had done a really awesome job with the company mm -hmm. and we're just trying to honor their legacy by you know, doing what we do every day. So how does that work? Are there, are there like established places almost like a private equity firm that they choose this model and then you go find them or do you, is it just an idea? Like here's a way to go about it and you go find your own investors. Yeah. It's just uh, figure it out basically. Wow. <laughs> so like uh, this has progressed a lot in the last five and 10 years. Um, so there are some, now there are some kind of private equity funds, there are incubators and they'll, they'll kind of do pieces of this. So there are a bunch of different ways to do this. Happy to chat with somebody with anybody and help them get a sense of what this is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was basically go find some people, pitch them, say, Hey, I got a great idea for you. What if I ran a company I don't know what it is yet, but think about me running a company yeah. <laughs> and then you get them and they're like, ah, fine, take a shot at it. And then you like, you know, like you got a bunch of founders on here. Like every founder is likely very concerned with sales. This was a two year long sales cycle where you just need one closing. You just need one yeah. contract and you know, you got the whole world of uh, businesses to look at and you got to find one uh, where someone's like, ah, yeah, maybe you could do this. <laughs> wow. How long did it take you to find the investors that you needed? Uh, so like I laid some groundwork when I was in business school, right? Like I found out about this as I was going into it. And uh, I was lucky enough to um, intern for a company called Hemasource run by Todd Tracy, who was a phenomenal operator. He's become a mentor of mine. And, you know, I met some people while I was at business school and, you know, called them up and said, Hey, I'm just a little student. I'm trying to figure this thing out. So, um, we kind of had a list of some people we could talk to that had heard about this thing before. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of, um, you know, kind of hit them all up when, when we got our act together. So 
you know, thankfully for us, um, it went pretty quickly. Like, you know, I kind of found them over two years, but kind of contacted them over a month. And then kind of over the next month, we got all of the commitments that we needed to close it. I think generally it takes kind of, you know, maybe two to five months to kind of get, you know, the pitch and the commitment and all of that, you know, uh, thank God that happened quickly for us. And we were like, wow, uh, you know, maybe some of these, you know, these guys are all smarter than I am and much more successful. They think I can do this. So maybe I can. Yeah, man. Still trying to figure out if I can do it. I haven't done it yet, but we're part of, we're part of the way there. Uh, heck yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> what what do you think they saw in you that made them? Because they're bet they're betting on you, right? Because you don't even have the company you're investing in yet. Like <laughs> they're, they're they're betting on you. Why do you mm-hmm. think they bet on you? I think it was my jawline. I don't know if you guys could see it. It's really strong. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Um, uh, you know, I think they look at a few things, right? So they want someone who knows what they're getting into, right? Like I had done my diligence interned for a company, you know, we had, you know, been dreaming of this thing for 10 years. So they want to know that like, you don't think this is a get rich quick scheme because it's, it's a lot of hard work, right? Like yeah. you guys are a founder, you know how hard it is. Yeah. Um, so like know what you're getting into um, that like, I, I think they want to know that you're smart. And I think in, when we, when I talk about smart, I don't talk about, you can do multiplication in your head. I talk about people smart, like, Do you know how to, do you understand people? Do you know how to build a team, influence people, you know, convey information or whatever? And then I think it's just kind of grit. It's like, listen, you get beat up a lot. Like, I mean, you know, I call, I cold called hundreds of owners like, Hey, what do you think about selling to me? Uh, in like a little bit better of a pitch, but it was basically that. And you get the door slammed on you a lot and all of that. So they want someone who's going to kind of, uh, take a lick in and keep on ticking. So I think those are some things. And I think, you know, we probably conveyed some of that, you know, that thoughtfulness and like, Hey, I know this is going to be hard, but I'm going to be dedicated to it. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to run past that wall and I'm going to go over under through it, around it, whatever, um, to go do this. Um, you know, so I think that's the main stuff that they look for. And listen, a bunch of people get back to do this from a bunch of different backgrounds. You've just been in operations and sales your whole life, or, you know, you've been in consulting or, you know, all kinds of stuff. There are a bunch of different ways that you can get there. But, you know, I think that if you look at a resume, it's going to look like a bunch of different things. But if you turn this cube on its side and you look at the personality, I think there's kind of a personality type, which is just kind of like the entrepreneur personality type of like, I'm going to run hard. I'm going to figure it out. I'm dedicated. And you can tell me no, and I'm going to go find somebody else because you need that in sales. You need that in recruiting. You need that in operations. You need that, you know, in, uh, you know, finding a company. Man, that is super helpful. And it makes me think of, um, you were talking earlier about, is this person smart? And not even necessarily just IQ smart, right? But EQ smart, right? Like some emotional I mean, IQ intelligence. IQ is just table stakes. Like if you don't know how to close a door, buy like, in. Like I can't. We can't do much with it. Yeah. Um. And you don't need to be, you know, in Einstein. But if you're really smart, IQ wise, and you have no emotional intelligence, like I know at our company, you're not going to fit well in the culture if you're sure. always running roughshod over people and you're disrespectful or whatever it is. Yeah, man, super fascinating. Um. What made this company stand out when you were now you've got your investors, you're looking for which company to acquire? Uh, obviously, availability is a no brainer, but like inside of that, like why, why this company? What made it attractive for you? So, I think one thing that made it attractive is just like the impact that it has. You know, like I try to live my life on mission, I try to live my life to, you know, I think that part of my life thesis is doing things that matter with excellence. And, uh, you know, there's something about this company that it makes a real difference in the world. And listen, people can have a bunch of different jobs. You can make nuts and bolts and, you know, talk about that impact, or you can do gardening and talk about that impact. For me, I have a big passion for the workplace. So, Mm. you know, one thing we say here is that most of the people in the world spend most of their years of their life and most of their hours of their day at work. work and lunch and commuting and all the time you spend thinking about it. It's really a big part of our lives and we can debate whether where that's going or whether it's right, but it's, it's a real thing. And listen, there's a lot of crummy stuff that happens in the workplaces. People are discriminated against, people are harassed, people are just treated without respect. Fraud happens, you know, that leads to companies being shut down. And we saw in this company an opportunity to really make the world a better workplace. Um, This, this cool thing that this company um, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Google. We don't have a trillion dollars of market cap. Um, but we're a bunch of people who are caring change makers who want to make a difference through helping leaders who care, take better care of their employees. And right now we're making the lives better in some shape or form for six and a half million people around the globe. 
So wow. that's six and a half million employees across all of our um, our client base and our customers. Uh, and all of them, you know, they all have a you know a child they go home to, and a mom that they take care of, and a community that they pour into. So listen, I mean, we don't lead their lives, but we have a chance to, you know, we we talk we talk about what we do, like making a company healthier. If you're, it, you know, if you're sick, you have to get unsick, right? You have to get the infection out of your body and then you have to get healthy. And we help like reduce the risk that's tied to misbehavior in the workplace. And then along the path of you doing that, you start building a stronger culture. You start building a, a stronger organism of all the people who are cells in, in this body uh, that's a company. And uh, that was really attractive to us. So there's a bunch of other stuff about the size that we were looking at, obviously the availability of it, like the company was profitable. It wasn't, you know, some harebrained scheme that, hey, let's try to figure out right. if anyone can make money doing this. Um, and, you know, uh, but like, I think that impact was really attractive. And then there's some dynamics in this industry um, that we're really trying to lead the way on changing that these leaders in compliance and ethics have really been poorly served for a long time. Part of mm -hmm. it is the industry is growing up. Listen, 30 years ago, there wasn't like a compliance title that was had job openings at a company. So this, this company, this industry has really been going through this maturation phase. And as it's been happening, like we just saw a big gap in the market where like the vendors don't care. There are a bunch of private equity owned companies that are just trying to make a quick buck and then flip it before someone realizes that there's mold in the house. Like they just put a fresh <laughs> coat of paint on it and sell it. Yeah. That like ends up like the customer service is terrible. They, you know, you got to choke somebody to follow through on their contract. We just saw all of this stuff in this industry of like, okay, like there's a right way to do business. And it has not always been done that well for the, you know, a bunch of the providers in this compliance industry. So we saw a chance for like these compliance and ethics leaders. And sometimes that's HR and sometimes it's tied to legal or sometimes it's just driven by the board. But people who are doing this, they care about making the workplace better. And we love that. And they're not served very well by their vendor partners right now. So if we can be a good, do a good job at this and we can make them better, then millions of people are going to live a better life in the workplace. And like I said, go home and take care of their family or whatever it is. And we just love like it's it like it in makes me enthusiastic every day to come do all the stuff that running a business is because we can have that impact on people's lives. And I ultimately believe that people are the most valuable thing here on the earth. And if I can help uh, do that better by the thing that I spend most of my day doing, then I'm happy to do that. Man, it's beautiful. And you can tell you're passionate about it. You found purpose that's led to passion yeah. uh, and now a profession, right? Yep. Um, I like so that. what, help me understand the compliance world. That's not a world as I'm as familiar with. Sure. What is the solution that you guys are providing to the client to, to, yeah, to the client, but in the compliance world? Yeah. So let me kind of set the stage a little bit compliance and ethics. Uh, you know, sometimes it's called integrated risk management or um, governance, risk and compliance from the business side. They're saying, Hey, we have risks, we might get sued, we maybe hopefully care about our employees and don't want them mistreated. Um, this is not just a marketing thing, this is not just an operations thing, it's not even just a management thing. We need something that is kind of a safety net under the whole organization that is gonna make sure that all this stuff goes right and people behave properly. Again, less bad and more good, right? That's what okay. we're going for. So that's what all of this stuff is. From the employee, you know, employees experience this as you see policies and they say, you know, you can't treat people this way and you get training. So you get there's, you know, e-learning and you watch the video about like, hey, watch out, you know, you're in your email or like, don't say this to this person or whatever. And you have reporting. So, you know, you know, speak up culture. If you see something, say something, me too, that type of thing. Like uh, we want to find out if this is going wrong, because even if your manager is being a punk, Someone here cares about you and we wanted to take care of that. Yeah. And then there's governance, you know, how you manage things at the board and vendor management and all of this stuff around the compliance space. So that's what this is, right? The, the company wants to make sure things go right. Employees need to behave a certain way and want to be in a company that does this stuff well. Sure. And compliance kind of and, and ethics sits kind of at the nexus of that of let's try to bring that solution to bear. So what we do at Compliance Line um, we do a number of things. So we do uh, issue intake and reporting. We do case management software for workplace investigation. So, you know, someone reported something about their manager, let's talk to the witnesses and let's find the data around it and let's see what we have to do about this. Um, we do e-learning, so we do those videos. Your videos are probably, you know, whoever is listening to this, they're probably really boring and like you like want to, you wish you could take a nap during them. Ours are like 5% cooler, they're, it's, it's worth it. Um, <laughs> they're a little bit cooler. Um, yeah. No, they're great, they're, uh, they're uh, like, 
um, a lot better than a lot of stuff out there. Um, so we do that issue intake, we do that case management, we do um, e-learning, we do specialized background screening. So, um, you know, like making sure that no one's on a blacklist in certain industries, if you're a doctor and you've defrauded Medicare, nice. you, you know, people have to make sure that they don't hire you. So we do a bunch of these things that is like, it's, you know, some of it is helping people with processes through our software. Um, and some of it is, is helping people, you know, figure out what's going on in their organization. But generally, there's a bunch of stuff in compliance. Um, we do the stuff around people, right? So people need to learn, people need to report something, people need to be guided by this. Um, so we do a lot of that people stuff. We're not like scraping your, your email for HIPAA violations and stuff like that. We're doing people-focused compliance solutions to empower leaders who are compliance and ethics leaders or just a owner of an organization or uh, an executive who wants it done right, help them get visibility into what's going on in their organization and help them get that clarity about, okay, if I do this, this will get better. Yeah. Super cool. Now that makes a lot more sense to me. Cool. Um, man, beautiful. I love that someone's out there doing that. I mean, we're what trying, a man. Service. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of this thing, it's not a big part of the PL. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not going to be the 20% of, of the thing, uh, you know, 20% of your revenue that shows up at the board meeting and, and you're really kind of wrestling around it. But what's cool about it is there's, there's the, like, it's a big lever, right? Like you can invest another half percent of your revenue in this thing and get this thing done well, that actually transforms the way your behave, your employees behave and belong in your organization. And it unlocks a bunch of stuff. It unlocks employee engagement and, and uh, it unlocks trust. It unlocks innovation and it unlocks a lot of the genius that people would love to give to their workplace. Right. Listen, I mean, I think that even, you know, if you have an employee and they're a clock puncher and they're a clock watcher and, you know, they're not really engaged, I think that there's a way like everyone wants to be part of something that matters and they want the stuff that they spend all of their day doing to like avail something in the world. Right. And I think that if you can do that, a big part of that is culture and ethics and making sure that people know kind of what's right. And uh, they're not kind of beat down by this narrative of like the man and, you know, capital M management is here to kind of suck the life out of me. Sure. You can flip that on its head, uh, which we've done with our organizational structure and our org chart. If you can flip that on, on its head and say, you know what? Management is here to serve you and you are yeah. here to serve customers. And if we do that, if instead of, you know, sucking a bunch of profit out of employees and putting in our pockets, if we're giving nutrients as the roots of trees, as managers and leaders to our team, to their team, to the clients, then we're going to build a beautiful, uh, you know, a beautiful tree, a beautiful life-giving uh, organization. Um, and I think that when you do that, there's a lot of benefit to society there, you know, people's lives are better. And you know what, man, Drew, it's not that much harder. It's it, it's not three times harder to make your culture three times better, but you just can't not pay attention to it. Yeah, man. Okay. You, well, we we're kindred in many ways, both in our passion and in, and we get it. We you know your business and my business come around similar mm -hmm. issues from different angles, which is fun. oh for sure. Yeah. It's cool, um, man. So I want to geek out just for a second on some of the stuff you talked about. Uh, one, you know, a lot of what you're talking about to me reminds me, I know it's not, can't be reduced just to this, but to around like psychological safety. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's big for us. So you look at like project Aristotle that Google did and they were trying mm -hmm. to figure out what made their teams the best. And that was one of their biggest findings was the yep. teams that had that psychological safety to express an idea and that be okay. And not, you know, crapped on or fired for it or whatever, mm -hmm. or Make just how much make a mistake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Innovate, try, trust each other. Yep. And that, that was a critical ingredient of that. So are you guys seeing that as well, that this is, this is providing more of that? I mean, it seems obvious, but providing more of that psychological safety for people. Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, I think you and I would impact that on different angles, right? You would uh, probably be coaching and yep. training and helping like individual managers and leaders have interactions that are better. That's and we're right. going to kind of come at, you know, that's maybe kind of on the standard org chart. Our org chart is flipped upside down. Love that. Uh, my co-CEO and O and I are the root of the tree, the bottom of the pyramid serving the client at the top. But, you know, in the standard format, um, you, you guys are maybe coming top down and yeah. we're kind of trying to wrap around the whole employee base and give everyone the training that they need, give everyone a safe place to report something, right? They can call our third party hotline or report it through a web form, or we have an AI fueled app that you can report something into. And then listen, the thing is at our clients, this is probably not at every company. I wish it was. And I think it's out there more than we think, but somebody cares. Somebody yeah. doesn't want you 
living a distressed life at work. Somebody yeah. there, you know, wishes that things could be better. And we're going to kind of do that from a wraparound of all employees, kind of a bottom up. And you're maybe going to come kind of top down and do managers and leaders and execs and stuff like that. But yeah, we're trying to build that psychological safety of like, if something's wrong, you can say something about it. This is a company that we care about it. Hey, you know what? We just invested $200,000 in this thing to make it easier for you to speak up. Because if you can't say it to your manager, then say it over here. And if you don't want to say it over there, then say it over here. But like that, that speak up culture is a big part of that psychological safety, right? Because yeah. like people feel like it's all thin ice. There's this, they're, they're, they're standing somewhere. It's the middle of a lake and this ice is going to break somewhere, but I got to move. I can't stay here. And they don't know where the ice is going to break beneath them. And if you can start showing them, Hey, this is safe. It's safe to talk to this person. It's safe to report this this way. And then they take that step and they say something or their friend steps out in front of them and they say, Hey, I just did something. And like, they retrained the manager and we had a great conversation about it. And now we're good. And it was a misunderstanding and he apologized and blah, blah, blah. That like, it's just, it's gold. That's gold wow. for your culture where someone's like, hey, you know what? Hey, you know, elbowing their friend next to them. We actually have a say in how this company operates. Yeah. We're, we're not just getting dragged around by the ear and saying, you better do this because I give you a paycheck. We're all part of this and we can have an impact on, again, things being less bad and things being more good. And when yeah. you can start showing people that, um, then that, that really has a big impact on just, again, releasing some of this. Like part of what we see about this industry is, you know, you can talk about base rates and like we're at such a low base of like quality and ethics and integrity in the workplace. You know, it's at, you know, one and a half percent of what it should be. So we can get twice as good and we're still only at three percent and you can get yeah. 30 times better than that. And you're still not at 100 percent. So there's so much room to grow that you can do a few small things and it feels a lot better and it feels so refreshing. Yeah. And it feels like, wow. I mean, we, you know, we do this in our company. We got to retrain people all the time because this is not like your last workplace and, you know, speak up, tell us something, walk in my door, interrupt a meeting. If you need something like, tell me what you need, because we want you to be good. So you can be good for our customers. Cause as founders, we all know we can't do it all. If you think you can do it all, just wait a little bit and you'll realize that you need some good help around you. Right. Like yeah, that's right. This is the process we go through. Yeah. So I, I need everybody engaged here as much as yeah. possible. Right. And I need everybody at our company and everybody, you know, as much as we can, we can recruit people to, you know, we can fly this banner of psychological safety, of ethics, of, hey, this is the right way to do things. This is how we do it here, right? Yeah, That's culture. Yeah. This, is how, this is how things happen here. Yeah. We can fly that banner and it really makes a big difference in people's lives, not just like in their expectations and their performance, but just what it's like to be there. And who wouldn't want a full team of 10 or 100 or 100,000 employees feeling like, wow, you know what? This is a great company. I love going to work here because I'm valued. That's what we're doing. Yeah, trying to do. man, so cool. I mean, the you know this as well as I do. Just for people listening as well, but like the data is in on engagement. Yep, it's been a decade of research, and the data is in. Like, if you're more engaged, you're not just happier. It's not like, oh, well, at least our, I feel good that my employees are happier. It's like everything works better. Yeah, everything, and at the end, the customers serve better. Profitability goes up. If, if a disengagement starts to happen and the culture starts to get, you know, toxic, everything goes downhill. And so this is so, like you said, this is so huge. I want to share a funny story. Yeah, I mean, it's not a trade-off, man, right? It's not like, right. hey, uh, if uh, you're more engaged, then I lose some money. It's it, there, There's a, a wealth of value to be That's created right. and unlocked because that engagement goes up and everything else you care about goes up. Innovation, profitability, growth, whatever it is. That's right. That's right. Sorry, you're going to tell me about something. Yeah, man, this is so interesting because I was. This was a learning lesson for me that I thought was really interesting uh, to the scale of things like this, where things could go wrong, right? So I have a, one of my close friends is a doctor, and he had come over the other night. Uh, no, not the other night. It was probably nine months ago, pre-pandemic. So longer, dang. <laughs> you know, it's like it feels like it was literally last yeah, it's month. Like a time warp. Yeah, twenty twenty wow. was a time warp. I get it. Man. It was pre-pandemic, <laughs> but it wasn't too far from it. But anyways, he just was having a conversation around work, and he was like, "Man, you know, I feel like what you guys do could help us in the hospital." I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, <laughs> "He said, man, you know what?" He said, um, "In the hot and like in the healthcare industry and space, the thing they've been trying to move the needle on." for decades has mm -hmm. been doctor error and medical error. Yep. And they haven't been able to see a real noticeable difference no matter what they've tried. They've tried all these different software and technology and whatever. And he said, but this, this, there's a case study right now. And this is the story 
I think it was Duke Hospital had this happen. And it was an eye opener for everybody. But basically what had happened is they had these giant gallons, like uh, metal barrels of uh, sanitizer, right? Okay. That they sanitize equipment with, the beds, the whatever, sterilizer and sanitizer. And they every whenever they're done, they load them on this loading dock outside the hospital. New ones come in, old ones go out, they get replaced, they take them back into the hospital rooms and whatever, the mm-hmm. surgery rooms. Well, there had also been a uh one of the elevators had gone down and needed new hydraulic fuel yep and so uh, the technician had come in had drained all the old hydraulic fuel out of it and put new stuff in and it was also in a barrel that looked like the sanitizer and somehow got with the batch of barrels that were coming in and coming out okay and so as the new ones came in it was, I think they had like five barrels of hydraulic fuel, but some like two of them got mixed up with the new batch. So three went out, two got in with what was supposed to be clean hand sanitizer. No one knew about this officially for over a month. Okay. And so people are going in there scrubbing, scrubbing their uh, scalpels and whatever, these technicians, and it's not clear. It's dark fluid. And the way they realized this was because – infection rate they track everything infection rate that month had started going through the roof Bunch and they're like sepsis. exactly so they're like what's yeah. going on why are all these people getting infections and they start like you know trying to find the problem and then they find holy crap we've been using hydraulic fuel to clean instead of this so then they go down to the people that like clean and they are like did you not notice the difference between hydraulic fuel that's dark mm-hmm. and this and they said yes and they said why didn't you say something mm-hmm. and they said I was afraid I'd get fired. Yep. And they're like, what do you mean? That's why, exactly the problem. Like, why would you get fired? And they're like, listen, man, I just make like $8 an hour. My boss is grumpy all the time. If I ever I got a kid at home, I can't lose this job. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't know if you guys switched, switched products or whatever, but like basically it was the fear. So Duke realized we have a culture problem. Yes. We have a culture problem. That's the whole reason I'm telling the story. And it mm-hmm. shocked everyone. And so Johns Hopkins just spent like $50 million bringing in guys like me. It wasn't me. I wish it were <laughs> guys like me to come in and talk about culture. And one of the things they talked about was flipping the culture upside down. That okay. instead, just like you were talking about. So instead of them going, I've got this boss that I'm afraid of and blah, blah, blah. Them going like, no, we're here to serve you. Okay. Your only job is to do your job as best as you can to serve these patients, these people coming in who we want to walk out. Well, if you see something, say something, that whole thing, right? Yep. And they realized it was not only like a million plus dollar problem, it was also costing people's lives. Yes. Right. So anyways, sorry for the long story, but it no, blew my I mean, mind. it's so appropriate, man. It's like, you get it. It's this exact thing. It's exact, this exact thing of like, you know, it's self-preservation. It's, I don't know if you yes. want to hear it. It's, I don't know if you're going to be mad. I mean, it's all of this thing. And this is just around the one, the, you know, the one line of a speak up culture, which is just a thread in this tapestry of ethics and integrity, which is just a cord in, in this rope that is, uh, you know, that is culture. But yeah. it's it's such a big thing because that one thing, I mean, you know, I, I I shudder to think of the lives that were impacted by that. And listen, like this is what people don't get. You know, there's this thing in economics called an emergent property, right? Yeah. So an emergent property, property is like, you know, you no one it's not a conspiracy behind it. There, you know, no one programmed everybody in the restaurant to be yelling at the same time. It just kind of happens because it happens, right? And this thing happens not not because someone hates someone else or someone wanted to infect other people. It's just a, a mix of a bunch of these things that I can only describe as culture because it's so it comes in so many different colors. Um, and it's an emergent property that really we need to fix. And it's not, yeah. like I said earlier, it's not going to be fixed by the marketing team. It's not going to be fixed by the IT team. And you know what? It, like, I tend to think that it's not going to just be fixed by doing management training. You need yeah. an effort and it needs to come from the top. You need you know, tone at the top. You need the mood at the middle. You need the, uh, you need the entire employee base on the front lines. You need everyone around this thing. And you need a clear message that says, this is how we do it here. We want you to speak Love up. It. We're not going to roast you whatever it is, psychological safety is a big piece because 
it's multidimensional. It's not just one thing, but it leads you into that innovation that you're missing. It leads you into yeah. that discrimination that could become a lawsuit or just wreck someone's life. It leads you into this, you know, this uh, operational quality error that like you'd like to get fixed. And it can mm. be a way to unlock your full employee base so that it does, you don't have to wait until someone audits it and people have been getting sepsis for a month. You can just exactly. wait until the, the person who's there, who sees it, notices it. Says, and says, hey, this doesn't hey, look right. Someone want to check this? Like totally fine if this is what I'm supposed to do, but maybe you want to look. Yes. Yes. And again, man, it's, it's so, it's such a small change, right? Yes. You don't need to hire PhDs for all of your delivery drivers. Like it's just a change of treating people like humans, giving them the dignity and the respect of saying, Hey, you know what? I bet you got great ideas. I bet you know something that I don't, and I would love to learn from you. And that humility and that empathy can be a really strong path toward building a great company and making a great difference in the world. Being a decent human. <laughs> You know what I mean? This, man, you learned it in kindergarten. Yeah. Or maybe you didn't, but you heard about it in kindergarten. <laughs> right, right, yeah. All right, I want to switch gears. Uh, this is fascinating, but I want to switch gears to looking from what you guys are doing for the customer and the, and the mission of the company. And I want to go back to you and your brother stepping in for the first time, taking over this company. What was that like? And... What, yeah, like what, what'd you step into? I'm not even assuming it's a mess, but like it's your first time as, as the leader and you're, you're, you're taking over leadership for this company. Talk mm -hmm. to me about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there are so many ways to describe it, but you know, I mean, it was, it was unlike anything that we had ever done before. And for us, you know, we, we could stand on something that we've stood on ever since then of we're going to be transparent with you. Our, we think that our, our needs are aligned. If this company grows, you have more opportunity and we're going to be able to pay you better and we're going to get a nicer office and you can get advanced and we can have better benefits and all that, right? Like we want this thing that is not, I want to align my pockets and see if I can keep you from getting a raise. So, yeah. you know, we kind of stood at this thing of like, listen, I don't know everything. You guys are already doing it well. We're going to be transparent with you and tell you what our plans are and when those change and what we know and what we don't know. Um, and, you know, we... Thankfully, we came into a situation that wasn't a mess. This wasn't a turnaround. It wasn't a failing company. This was a very successful company that was doing yeah. very well for you know thousands and millions of people. And uh, we just said, all right, well, we're here to learn. So we went through this process of you know the first 30, 90, 100 days was just like, try not to mess it up, Nick and Geo. Like, yeah. <laughs> just keep it going, right? Like, they already know what they're doing. Listen, I'm not going to come in and say, hey, I got a great idea. What if we ripped all of these out and gave everyone cell phones instead of desk phones or something? Like, I don't know what's going on, so I'm here to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we trained on the front lines. I trained as a risk specialist in our call center. We trained and sanction checked to understand what was going on there. Shadowed the IT team, shadowed the, the uh, you know, the accounting team and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, we stand on the shoulders of the founders and we just kind of, you know, uh, sat at their feet and sat at their desk and said, okay, well, how do you do this? You know, so we, wow. thankfully we had a stable thing to come into. It wasn't like, hey, you got to turn this around in 14 days or the company's gone. Um, so we could just say, okay, well, let's keep doing what we've been doing and we'll see when we have enough conviction to change something. So, so there was at beautiful. least that stability, but they're still like, who are these guys? What are they yeah. going to do? And like, listen, it's natural. I was never offended by it, but there's a bunch of distrust that comes when you walk into that. Cause yeah, sure. like, you know what you know. And even if, you know, this wasn't the case here, but imagine you don't like your manager and you know, you really wish that you could get a raise and you really don't like the desk that you're sitting at that you still prefer over who knows what's going to happen over here. Right. Yeah, and that's yeah, when yeah. we came in, we were the who knows guys and you know, people are nice to us and you know, it's in the South. So there's a little bit of that nice respectfulness and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but like, there's still, I mean, people were nervous, right? They were like, well, what are these guys going to do? What is, what does this guy know? He knows like he, he looks like he's 14. That's me. Um, uh, you know, the, the beard adds a year and a half. So it's 15 and a half, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. uh, you know, but you know, people were like, where's this going to go? So, you know, I, I think that a lot of times leaders don't realize that trust is earned. It doesn't come with a title or a check or, you know, a seat. Yeah. And we had to earn the trust of our workforce and listen, you know, there's the, there's the adoption curve of, you know, leaders and laggards and all of that. Like there's some of that, that dynamic is in all of this stuff, right? There were some people who were like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to assume positive intent until I see otherwise. And they were like, sure. You know, until, until you mess me over, like, I'm going to assume this is fine. Yeah, there are sure. some people like, yeah, 
it's probably fine, but we'll see. And then some people were skeptical and some people, you know, were just like, this is not going to be good. And we just had to win those people over, over time. And, you know, some people ended up leaving because they were like, well, what do you, what do you mean we need to do better? I, you know, I, I want to do this. And it's like, all right, well, we get better here. And everyone, you know, like we want everyone to be getting better and we'll help you and you have time to do it. But, you know, what you did five years ago, you know, you probably should be typing a little bit faster than you did when you first learned to type the first week. Um, so there was some of that, you know, some people said, you know, opted out of our culture and what we're doing, but really it was a, it it was a process of showing people leading with integrity, leading by giving, right. I think that's in, uh, Covey's seven habits, you know, like give first and, you know, seek to understand before you, uh, seek to be understood and all of that. And it was just like, you know, we had some moments where, things went sideways and people were like, what are you going to do? You know, you know, people expected us to go one way and we said, no, we're going to do the right thing by you guys because when we're all on board with this thing, this whole thing's going to work. So fine, we'll do that thing or fine. We'll try that. Let's see how that goes. Okay. That didn't work. You're not fired. Stay here. Let me know your next idea. We're going to go back to this thing or whatever. And, you know, over time you build that among your management team and you build that trust with some people you make a connection with and you build that trust with someone's like, I guess it's been like seven months and like, uh, yeah, I guess these things are better and none of that bad stuff happened. And you start going from the who knows to like, okay, I feel like I know what to expect here. Yeah. And, you know, you just build that. But, you know, I think it's easy, you know, listen, like, you know, I, I, I learned about business in school and I read the books about, you know, business leadership and stuff like that. There's a lot to learn from that. And, you know, we should always be learning and growing. But at the end of the day, we're getting the stuff done through people and you need to treat people well. And you need to try to be empathetic to what it's like for them. And if you do that, then, you know, eventually I think you're going to get alignment if you act consistently. Mm. And the only thing you got to look out then is how are you actually acting? Because you, if you consistently act in a vitriolic manner or, you know, you're, you're uh, not standing by your word, then every system is perfectly engineered for the outcome that it gets. And if you're getting bad outcomes in your culture, in your people, in your retention, in your engagement... It's not because you just randomly hired 60 people who are all terrible. It's probably something endemic to your company and you got to figure that out. So we don't get it right all the time. We say that we never think that we're the guys or the company that gets it right, but we always want to eventually get it right. We don't have to start off in the right place, but we're going to learn and we're going to move forward. Um, So there's a lot of things that, you know, our team has taught us. And that's been a journey of us figuring out how do we do this together? Um, And that's what I think leadership is. Man, I love that. So many good nuggets in there. Uh, man, what was what what was the most challenging part for you? Uh, I think the most challenging part is just like, you know, I, I imagine most, if not all founders can uh, can relate to this. It's just like, there's a bunch of stuff that you're not prepared for. Like, you know, like, hey, you know, someone just sued us for discrimination. I'm like, uh, so what do we, you know, and then people are like, uh, Geo, Nick, what should we do? And I'm like, uh, uh, any of you guys want to take care of this? You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't get sued for discrimination, but just like, you know, uh, we need a new vendor for this. And it's like, anyone know how to do this? No, you know, uh, you know, hey, uh, we need new office equipment. Uh, I don't like Who anybody approved? here ever, anyone here ever bought 200 grand worth of office equipment? Okay. I guess we got to figure that out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my brother, Nick and I try to operate on this, this principle of figure it out and get it done. Like we're not always going to know. And I think that has been the hardest part of, you know, just like stuff comes up and we need to meet the challenge. And that was that grit that I was talking about earlier when yeah. you know you were asking about who backed us and stuff. Um, and that's the hardest thing because listen, I want to do a good job. I like, I carry the weight of all of the lives that, you know, rely on us for a paycheck and their families rely on that paycheck and stuff like that. And all of our clients rely on this. Like we, we need to do a good job with that. Um, and I think that's the hardest part, just like something coming up and like, all right, this was not in finance 201 and, uh, it was not in the management class. Like, uh, what do we do here? Uh, but listen, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if you get up to meet the challenge and you give it your best and you deal authentically and with integrity, then, you know, there are a lot of ways to get through those challenges. Heck yeah. You guys have a lot of really, uh, kind of simple and wise, um, axioms that you've oh. referred to, uh, really regularly. Thank Where you. do you think that comes from? And do you keep them in front of you? Is it, is it just like, I'm, I'm curious, like some people <laughs> will talk around subjects and you're like, well, the way we talk about it is, and it's in a really succinct, yeah, you know, kind of axiom or paradigm that's, that's really powerful. Um, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know. Uh, 
like it is a thing, you know, our team is always like, Oh, Nick and Gio coming up with another analogy. We're like, it's kind of like this. Yeah. Um, and it might be because like my parents grew up in sales and you're always trying to communicate, you know, you know, that's a persuasion and communication game. I think some of it's just the way that our parents raised us and, you know, they tried, you know, they, they always treated us like adults and we try to, you know, we tell everyone when they get hired here and we do day zero orientation, like yeah. we hire adults here. Like we don't have any kindergartners here. So we expect you to like make good decisions and speak up and stuff like that. They treat us like adults and we're like, they're like, here's the game here. Here's what's actually going on. They didn't sugarcoat a lot of stuff. So mm. I think some of it's that, I mean, some of it is like, I was raised on parables, like Jesus taught in parables and Jesus yeah. said, Hey, you know, here's what you got to think of. Um, so I think some of it's that some of it, you know, is, uh, probably just a, uh, in understanding that we're trying to deal with things and we're, we're always trying to communicate across this chasm, right? There's always a gap when you're communicating where I have this experience, you have this, I have this perspective and these emotions and this personality and this style and you're somewhere else. And I can't always communicate it the way that I think about it or that I would think it should be explained. And you know, you 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 frequently kind of zoom out and say, all right, well, this is kind of like having a family or, you know, what can we relate to? Okay, you love yeah. football. This is, you know, we're putting KPIs on the board. This is like when you see the football team and you want to see what's going on with it and stuff like that. Um, and you know, trying to figure out a way to connect with people. I think it, you know, it kind of comes from a place of empathy of like yeah. I've been in places where people, you know, people want to make you be impressed with them by how confused you are from what they say. And that never really landed with me. It's like, you know, okay, cool. I don't understand that. So I don't know where to go with that. Um, and, you know, I never want to be that guy. I want to be someone who gives people a toehold or a ring to hold on to and say like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. I can take that next step out onto the ice and see if it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, communication wise is brilliant. I mean, it's, it's sticky, which makes it memorable they're small and concise analogous often, or at least like a turn of phrase, which is going to be like an organizing principle. That's like, all right, when I think about this, mm -hmm. I remember this over this, or it's this like this, and it helps kind of recenter the, the primary way you're wanting them to think or approach that subject or that challenge or that issue. So uh, it also makes me think of this because you must've had time or, or carved out time to think about important things, right? Like I love Bill Gates has thinking time. Yeah, where, think where week it's like, or whatever it is. Yeah, think week. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you don't come up with stuff like that unless you've given yourself at least some space to say like, hey, what's the bigger picture here? How do I think about describing this? Which leads me to this question. What are, what are some critical either habits or priorities that are just really important for you to lead well? Whether it's for your own sanity or for your abilities to really be brought to bear on the business. Do you have any... Any things like that that you just like, man, I need to protect these in my calendar, my resources so that I show up really great? Yeah, it's a great question. And Drew, I think it's really important to have those things. I'll just say, like, I got to give you an answer here, but I'll just say that I do none of these well, right? Like whatever sure. I list, I'm not, I'm not like on a hundred percent consistency with, Sure, yeah, but there's some fine. things that I strive for, right? So, you know, um, one thing is that, you know, I started about a year and a half ago scheduling reflection time on my calendar. So it's whatever, like a half hour a week and it's two hours a month and it's a half day, a quarter, and it's like a full day, a year or something like that. Yep. And I just block it out and it comes up and I'm like, oh, all right, this is going to be hard to do this week. And sometimes I reschedule it and sometimes I skip it. But just that is just like, all right, I got to like, I got to not do the inbox and I yes. got to do something else. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's helpful. And I, you know, uh, am constantly kind of fighting against, um, a big piece of it, man. Like I'll, I'll be honest, Drew, like I don't have, I don't have the balance in my life right now that I hope to have 20 years from now. We're hustling, we're running hard. I'm, you know, you know, working early, trying to get home to the family, working late, seeing how much sleep I can survive on, maybe trying to exercise occasionally. Um, so, you know, I think that balance looks like having some of that time to be quiet and be, maybe that's journaling. Um, I think a lot of uh, the, that the, synth the synthesis that I'm able to do is taking time to invest in myself. And whether that's like, you know, listening to, uh, you know, audiobooks in the car or, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, uh, I, I have an app called pocket that allows you to like save an article. And then I listen to it on audio or like people should certainly make the zero to 5,000 podcast, a normal part of their routine so that they can get better <laughs> and be as good as you are Drew. Um, but I like, that's a piece of it where I can be yeah. like, all right, you know, I don't really have time to sit for two hours at night and just muse about stuff. 
Um, but I can, you know, instead of just listening to shock jock radio on the way home, uh, you know, there's this thing called commuting when people were allowed to go to work. Right. Um, you know, I can, I, I can listen to something that makes me better. And that's probably kind of the biggest and most consistent fitted into the nooks and crannies. And I, you know, here's someone talking about psychology or hear this story about, you know, this thing that's going on overseas or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's kind of like what we're doing. Um, so those are, those, those are two like decent practices that I try to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think part of it is just taking this approach of knowing that like the work is not the only part of the work. And there's some stuff again to Covey's habits, you know, we do, uh, we try to live this in our organization and we do a learning summit every other week where it's kind of a book club and we're like, Hey, let's kind of, you know, I, we want to invest in you. We want you to have space in your life to invest in yourself. Um, but you know, Covey talks about sharpening the saw. And, yeah. you know, that's something that you got to do that probably that reflection time and that, um, you know, just kind of like learning um, is probably the biggest piece. Um, I've had times where I've had a coach and I've had, you know, I've taken some, you know, e-learning courses on leadership and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I think those two and probably like the biggest the, the biggest piece, which the bonus for this is that it is part of the work is just going over the stuff with my team. Right. Like, yeah, I have check ins with my direct reports and we go over what's working, what isn't. And we do, you know, monthly and quarterly reviews. And that kind of stuff helps us, you know, get some brains around the table. People feel open to saying stuff. And like, I think that the vision that we're building and we're, we've made a lot of progress toward is the natural rhythms of your company should fuel the improvement of yourself and your people. And you don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be this, you know, work and reflection balance. Just like we don't think we don't think of work life balance, we think of it as integrated. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm calling you at all hours of the night, but it means that I know that if you have some stuff going on at home, it's probably gonna be hard to work. And if I make it a terrible experience for you at work, it's probably gonna make it hard for your kids at home. Yeah. Um, and yeah. those things are integrated and seeing how they touch and trying to find that complementarity uh, is part of what we try to figure out so that you know we can be getting better while we're doing the work. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's simple, man. I, I mean, you've you found for me, it's always just a few things. Like we can get really complicated, and and try to engineer this perfect day and all these perfect habits. And it's like, dude, for most people, if you just brought a few disciplines in yeah. that you know your soul needs or your mind needs, that helps replenish because you're. It's this idea of energy expenditure, right? So you're putting out a lot. You're putting out your ideas, your energy, your time. It's yeah. like, what are the things though that are going to give that back to you? So that you keep having a reservoir that you're able to give. Right. Otherwise, at some point, if you don't replenish it through reflection time, you know, meditation, learning, something that pours back into you, then people start drawing on you and you're, you're dry. You know, you got nothing. Well, you can't left pour to into people if you're an empty vessel. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that even like coming home to my kids, I'm like, mm -hmm. man, how I, how I operate today is going to put me in a certain state. And it's going to, I mean, either have a lot of patience or little patience by the time I get home. Right. And so like, I need to manage me and I need to like really make sure that I am taken care of. And in and, and, and a sense, you know what I mean by taking care of, but that I've yeah, got. Yeah. Um, no, I'm with you, dude. It's just like, uh, it's so key. And that's the hard thing for us. I think as leaders and founders is to realize that like, listen, so much, whether you like it or not, so much of our identity is tied up in work. So much of our energy, like, Hey, sweetie. Uh, so much of our life is tied up in, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we're like getting ready for work. We don't spend three hours usually, uh, you know, hanging out with our kids and then give our last reserves of energy to work. We just right. go to work and then we come home in the evening and leaving some capacity for that is important. And realizing that like these two things touch each other, um, you know, you got to realize that, uh, this stuff is integrated. Yeah. We like, to, we like to think that they're neatly separated yeah, and so clean. it doesn't work that way, especially right now, COVID as we're having this conversation, my five-year-old has picked the lock to my office and is up here joining us on the podcast right now. Clever girl. <laughs> you get her on here. She probably knows a little bit about balance. Seems like she's having more fun than I am. Yeah. They have Thursday. <laughs> they, uh, they're home. They have Thursday and Friday off of school for some reason. This oh, great. Week. Um, Good. Give those teachers a little break. That's right. That's right. Yeah. What? I found the knife next to the door and I unlocked it. You used the butter knife to unlock the door? Yeah. Okay, love. Can you go back All downstairs right. and let me finish this? Do let me know if she wants an internship. That's right. Do you want to <laughs> sit over do you want to sit over there while I finish? Okay. Sit over there. Thank you, love. Yeah, right there. 
Uh, okay. See, it's integrated, man. It's integrated. It's integrated. You, you can't you can't hide from it. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Especially with COVID and people working from home, like all those yeah. all those boundaries are are falling down left and right. Well, listen, we were forced to realize it over the last year because this stuff happened, right? And it's yeah. like, okay, well, you can't fire someone because they have to work from home to take care of their kids. Everyone in the world is doing that. So figure it out. And, you know, you know, in our industry, we talk about how over this past year, companies who had a strong culture, companies who had strong compliance and ethics were able to show up for and take care of their, their employees in ways that really differentiated them from the company across the street that was caught on their heels or didn't know what to do. And I think that crisis reveals character and the character of companies was shown. And, you know, I think we, you know, everyone figured out how to do it and, you know, kind of work through it and stuff like that. But um, this, you know, what happened over the past year showed us a lot about what you're made of and were you ready to handle this? And did you have the margin and the capacity to not just weather the storm, but also make sure that you didn't put it on the backs of your employees because we all had to make adjustments. That's you can't right. just say, okay, everyone, you keep doing what you were doing. Uh, I'm going to go kind of work with this crisis. Everyone was in it. Oh yeah. So true, man. I love how you said crisis reveals character. I remember a mentor of mine said, uh, when you get squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. <laughs> that's great, dude. I, like I that. was like, that's true. <laughs> like when life's borrow that. He said, just think about a cup of water. When you squeeze that water, what's on the inside comes out. So you, you just, it, it's not even, it's sometimes a good thing. You're like, wow, uh -huh. I got squeezed and patience came out or love. Right. Uh, and then other times you're like, wow, that was tough to see that that came out of me in that moment. I got some work to do. Right. Yeah. I hope, I hope no one saw that. That's or, right. Maybe, That's maybe right. they won't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. This has been so good. Let me get us to our lightning round questions. Cool. These are five questions that we've asked every founder who's been on here. Question number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that be? Be a servant. Love it. So that's the core of our core's values. We believe that when instead of looking out for yourself, you are serving the client, you're serving your direct report, you're serving your peers. Um, that's the thing that is going to make this whole thing work. There are a bunch yeah. of different ways to build a culture. There are a bunch of different things to, to focus on. If everyone could live that every day, um, and a point of refinement is our service is always to the mission before it's to any one person. So if this person over here isn't doing their job and they need you to do their job for them because they dropped the ball and they haven't been paying attention and they don't care about their work, there's if that's the best thing you do for the mission, then help it. If you ha can have some margin and say, Hey, let me give you some tips on that. That's great. But we need to serve the mission. Yeah. And the mission is for us to make the world a better workplace for us to go on mission to have 50 and hundred million employees around the world helped by what we do. And everyone has a, a special way that they contribute to that. And if you're serving the mission, that's very frequently going to be serving each other. And that's our path forward. Love it. Beautiful answer. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? <laughs> Got to throw that in there. Okay. Um, best advice, um, I think, was just to make sure that you invest in your people. Yeah. And that can be time with them. That can be letting them explore or make a mistake. It could be a bunch of different things. Um, but, you know, like I said, none of us are, you know, unless you're a solopreneur and you built your company massively just coding in your basement, you need to get this done through people. Yeah. And I think investing in them, uh, I, I think, is the path to getting all, a, a bunch of greater things done. Yeah. Uh, and the worst advice was don't care about your people. <laughs> no one said it but yeah that would be bad if they did that would be bad um i didn't uh I get let let me marinate on that worst advice i don't know that i've gotten it but you know maybe maybe i just forgot about it because i was like i'm not doing that that's actually been a lot of people's answers which i'm finding fascinating is that a lot of founders have said i probably forgot about it because i just i move on really i don't have time to think about bad advice yeah um, but i just you know, maybe it's we, something like that like it's like you know you got to look out for yourself or whatever Maybe yeah, told me that. And I said, nah, nah, I like it. All right. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Ah, that's a great question. Um, so I think it's the lack of clarity and certainty about whether we're doing the right things, like 
like focusing on the right stuff. You know, there's yeah. this thing that there's a ton to do. Listen, like there are some companies that are just like, we got one last best hope and we got to do this thing. Like we got a bunch of opportunities and we got a bunch of people and there's a lot of, you know, volatility and action and growth. Yeah. Um, and I think that what, you know, some of that's like, hey, there's some stuff on the task list that I haven't done yet. You know, that's a big piece of it. Or it's like, hey, we wanted to do a month long trial of this. It's not working, but let's put another month into it. And just, you know, like, you know, it's kind of uh, back to something I was saying earlier of like, you know, who's ready to buy some office furniture? Like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just like the responsibility and like the impact is all relying on, you know, us being focused on the right stuff. Um, and I think that gives me a lot of stress. Um, yeah. You know, I think that like we're in a great industry. We have great people. Uh, I think we have a great ethos and a culture that we're building. There, there are a lot of things that I don't question, but I am always wondering like, should that have been a half hour meeting or should I spend two hours on this or this tonight after everyone goes yeah. to sleep? Yeah, love it. Thanks for the honest answer. I think many, myself included, can relate to that paralyzed by possibilities feeling sometimes. Yeah. Number four, what's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? So our BHAG is to have a hundred million employees around the world have their lives improved by the work that we do. Cool. Love it. Number so that's five. That's about 20x bigger than we are. Um, and you know, there's there's breadth and depth in that, right? There are more, more and more things that we can do for them. But that yeah. that's what we want. We want to have a positive impact on a hundred million employees, which we, you know, uh, we assume is probably five to time, ten, five to ten times bigger on the impact they have on their community. So that's kind of our target for a billion lives improved by compliance line. That's the mission. I love it. Number five, if you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the si driver's side of the window, when would you go back and what would you tell yourself? I'd probably go back to like beginning or middle of high school. Um, I heard this question similar to this of like, think of yourself as a kid. How old are you was the first part, which I think is really cool to think about. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably go back to like beginning or middle of high school and tell myself, nobody around here knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. I had this thought when I was a kid of like, hey, you know, I'm just, you know, kid, you know, little kid from Cleveland or something. I'm not from Cleveland, but, um, you know, like, hey, you know what? Once I get this job, those guys really know what they're doing or yeah. someone who's 40 they've really figured it out or someone who's rich, they've really figured it out. Everyone's walking around being like, uh, all right, I hope that no one else realizes how little I know about this. Cause I'm just going to kind of push this button and see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, maybe that tells you how little I know and like, you know, run for the hill. No, I'm right there with you. But I mean, we're all trying to figure it out and I know some stuff and I know more than I did 10 years ago, but like, you know, you know, I mean, part what's embedded in that is like, if you're alive, you're growing. And if you're growing, you're doing some stuff that you didn't do before. So That's like right. our life is spent ideally, if we're fortunate and blessed enough on the edge of what we can do. And it's just a constant process of figuring it out. And you're not going to arrive. You're not going to grow up. Listen, everyone around you is the same person they were in high school. They're just as yeah. petty and insecure and all of that stuff. And it's all just going to be that. So jump in and go for it. Uh, so good. Yeah, you probably had a similar experience to me uh, when I became a dad. <laughs> I, you know, I think about my dad and yeah. I, similar to you, I'm like, yeah, he knows everything. Yeah. And he's always confident in his decisions. And I can change the oil on a car. Yeah. And then yeah. I became a dad. I was waiting for that lightning to hit where I just felt like, <laughs> I was like, what, where is it? Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to him about, it. he's like, he's like, man, I was always scared. Like yep. there was sure areas I was confident in, but he's like, I always had this feeling of like, do I really know how to parent you? Do I know the best decision for the family? And I'm like, wow, that was not my perspective. You know, <laughs> exactly. You just button up and you say, all right, guys, this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But man, one of my, um, one of my favorite kind of, uh, theologian thinker guys, he would say, uh, he, he says he thinks the greatest addiction that people have is the addiction to certainty. And that's that, the truth. Yeah. That like, there's this part of us that's scared all the time. And, and the way that we try to combat that is by trying to find certainty in all the uncertainty. Like, how do I know for sure this is going to work? Or how do I know my future is okay? Or how do I know my kids will never get hurt? And it's he said he, pretty much every idol in your life. Exactly. And he said he thought the biggest in his, in his estimation, the biggest evidence of what he would call spiritual maturity is being more comfortable in the unknown. 
And I just thought that was interesting. And, I, and yeah. I, it, it confronted me because I was like, yeah, how much of my mind and time am I actually trying to grasp for some kind of control or certainty where wisdom is great. Wisdom is learning and wisdom is learning nine times out of 10. This is the best foot forward. And, yeah. it's good, and you good hope decisions. there's some certainty because I know this thing now. Yeah, that's right. But it's like, man, there's still nothing certain about it. Like the first time one of my kids got hurt, it shattered my world. They, yeah. were, they were oh, fine. It wrecks, yeah, it wrecks you. Yeah, but I could I cried for two days. Uh-huh. My daughter, she fell off a chair, split her forehead wide open. Oh man. Blood everywhere, head bleeds so much, you know. Yeah. And we were in the middle of the mountains in Colorado and I didn't know where the doctor was and we ended up finding someone and it was fine. But it, right. it, I didn't realize until that moment I just assumed she'd always be fine. Like I had this feeling of like of course she'll be fine. Like you're you're and then it like in this moment of like wow, she's really vulnerable. Mhm. And that's part of growing up, right? Like when you're a kid, you're like, everything's fine. Parents got it. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, I'm on my own. Or maybe they don't or whatever. Yeah. At some point, hopefully you get more to, you know, maybe you just get your sea legs, right? And life is always a bit rocky, but you can stand or whatever it is. But yeah, that that straining after certainty drives a lot of stuff. It drives what you want in your 401k or let's, you know, you know, get this type of car or, you know, I mean, so many of, of our decisions are like, okay, am I sure that I'm cool, right? Like, or people like me and, yeah. you know, like, am I certain about that or whatever? Uh, who said that? I like that guy. Uh, Peter Rollins. Okay, great. Yeah, he's Irish. Wow. He's, he's, dude, he's awesome. He, he, yeah, we can talk about him offline. Okay. Because um, <laughs> uh, we're supposed to be wrapping up the podcast and now we're about to open up a whole new chapter. Yeah, uh, stay tuned for chapter two. Stay tuned. We, we, got, we dive into deep theological and spiritual thoughts. Um, <laughs> Buddy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been truly a joy, man. Your your energy, your heart for for the mission that you're on, uh, and the wisdom that you guys clearly have learned in such a short period of time is is really cool. And I, I know the people listening have, have valued a ton because I've valued a ton from it. So uh, appreciate it's my you. pleasure, man. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate uh, the chance to come on. Um, I hope that you know something that we've talked about could be a blessing to somebody. Um, I you know like I said, I don't have all the answers listen up everyone. Nobody's got it figured out. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be on here. I'm glad to contribute to the platform. You do a great show and you add a lot of value to founders. So thank you, Drew, for what you're doing on this podcast and what you do, um, in the rest of your work. Uh, people are welcome to get in touch with me. Um, easy on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and some other stuff, but, uh, you also mentioned, you also mentioned before that you have your own podcast. What is that podcast and where can people find that? Yeah, so we do a podcast called The Ethics Experts. So we talk about uh, people and personal stories of uh, leaders in the ethics game. Um, so that's on all the stuff, right? Like Perfect. Google, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, um, all of that stuff. Um, and then we also have a uh, another podcast called Compliance Live. Um, so we go live on LinkedIn and some other stuff. Um, and we do a little bit more of a flexible format for that. Uh, so yeah. check us out if you care about check culture and ethics and integrity. Uh, you're not allowed to say that you don't care about integrity, so you have to subscribe now. <laughs> That's uh, right. Because <laughs> what kind of person would you be, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you care about integrity? If so, do it. Do it. Subscribe. <laughs> Smash that like and subscribe button. Uh, yeah. No, but it's been great to join you, Drew. Um, yes, I, you know, if it, if I can help anybody uh, in the audience, um, you know, part part of what I'm doing in life is, you know, I've been through some stuff. If that can be a blessing to someone else, um, I'd love to help you help keep you from skinning your knees by telling you how I did it. Heck yeah. Awesome guys. Look them up and check out his podcast for sure. Gio, thank you, buddy. Thanks you. Talk to you soon, man. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. Thank you.